Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. All I had to do was stop asking for permission, stop worrying about speaking up, and start doing what I know best. This is career advice from Stephanie Cox, the president at Lumivate, the no-code mobile app platform built for marketers to build, publish, and manage apps on their own. As a female leader who has grown her career from running marketing to running marketing and sales to ultimately running the company, Stephanie shares her insights around grabbing opportunities when they appear, being comfortable speaking up, and learning that everyone brings value to the table. Stephanie teaches us about product-led growth, not as a go-to-market strategy or just another revenue channel, but about a business model and shares the do's and don'ts when moving your organization to this model. And of course, as a company that sells to marketers, Stephanie shares her expertise around cutting through the noise and reaching buyers in new and creative ways. We unpack so much in the latest episode of the Revenue Engine podcast. So please take a listen, but you'll want to grab a notebook first. Super excited to be here today with Stephanie Cox, the president at Lumivate. For those of you who may not be familiar with Lumivate, Lumivate is a no-code mobile app platform built for marketers to build, publish, and manage apps on their own. So welcome, Stephanie, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to be here. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey. You mm-hmm. know, prior to Lumivate, you've been in a number of different marketing roles in a number of different companies in a number of different, you know, various, various industries. So can you share a little bit maybe about your background and your career journey sort of leading up to your current role? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of career success has to do with two things, hard work and a little bit of luck. And that's really been... The story of my career. So when I graduated college in the early 2000s and took on my first marketing role, it sounds crazy to say, but not every company had a website. Email marketing wasn't a thing. Social media didn't really exist. And when you started you know, coming out with those new channels, I honestly kind of lucked into it because I was the young person on the team. And so it was like, well, you'll figure out this email marketing thing. You'll figure (laughs) out what, like whatever the social media is. And that's really where I got my career started in digital. You know, early in my career, you know, I started heavy in brand management and I still love brand, but I really started to find a passion for, for digital because what a lot of people today don't realize you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know how we marketed, we sent things in the mail, we print (laughs) ads, right? Like, you know, your campaign wasn't sending email, it was like, you would go home at night and like stuff 500 envelopes and mail letters. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of, I think, timing, right, which is a little bit of, of, of luck, honestly. And that's where I started in digital. 
And I also really chose early on in my career. And at the time, it was not super intentional. I think it was, you know, I had a couple of different offers when I graduated college, and I chose the one that felt like the best fit for me and the culture I wanted. Mm-hmm. And looking back, you know, I chose a kind of a mid-sized organization where the marketing team was smaller. You know, the company was decent size, but it wasn't huge. And what that allowed me to do was learn every aspect of marketing. Mm-hmm. I got to do a little bit of everything. And, you know, looking back on my career, part of the reason I've been so successful is I really have done all of it. Now, I don't like doing all of it. And I may not be good <laughs> at all of it. It's a separate conversation, right? But it's true, right? Like, I think, and that's why I would tell people that are graduating and they're asking, like, what type of job should I take? And I say, you know, well, if you really know what you want to do and you want to be very focused, big company, right? Go to the big company, pick it out. They'll get you to be an expert on like SEO or Google ads. But if you don't know and you think you want to be a CMO one day or a CEO one day, go someplace that's like a smaller mid-sized. It will give you the best education you could ever expect because you will have to learn all of it. And you'll have to learn how to be scrappy. So that's really my first two jobs were doing that. And I also got my MBA um, at the time as well. And then, you know, I went to a big company. I went to Ingersoll Rand, which was huge, huge. right? $14, $14 billion, 60,000 employees. But I was on this team that was this really interesting startup within this huge organization, which is kind of like really cool because you have the name recognition of this huge brand. You have the budget supporting yes. you on this huge brand, but you get to, but you get to ignore all the red tape. Mm-hmm. that large organizations have. And I kind of also timing was a little bit of luck too. You know, when I started there in 2010, we were doing home automation for consumers. So the idea of controlling your home from your phone, which is like not not novel now, right? Everyone does that. Of course I would do that. Well, 10 years ago, no one was doing that. Yeah, nobody. Right? Um, and so a little a little bit of a little bit of luck and timing there. And that's where I got into mobile because that's when mobile apps had just started to blow up. The app store was just launched the year before. And, you know, from there, my love and passion of mobile allowed me to launch mobile apps in 10 countries, you know, right? Like just things that I never would have expected to do because I was, I took it, I took an opportunity. The other thing I would tell you about my time at Ingersoll Rand that really impacted my journey to where I'm at today is I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So I'm a woman, I'm Midwestern, which is like by nature, I am, I've been taught to be polite, humble, <laughs> and right, like, just kind of like, hey, I think we should do this, it'd be a great idea, uh-huh. and then wait for like everyone to agree. And I remember sitting in a meeting at Ingersoll Rand, which is a great company, I love my time there. And I had probably suggested a certain fix for a problem we've been having for months. Mm. Like almost the point where I was like, can people hear the words that I say? <laughs> like, like I'm speaking English, right? Like I, <laughs> right. Like what's going on. And then someone else, my boss at the time said it, everyone's like, Oh, that's like, <gasps> that's oh, like the my- best idea ever. And I'm like, for the love. <laughs> and I got mad. Like yeah. not in the meeting, but like I went home and I was mad. And I've been mad before when that's happened to me, but like, I think this was the time I was like, screw it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm done asking for permission. I'm done asking for people to like 
tell me it's okay to do my job. I know what I'm doing. I'm good at it. And I'm just going to start doing whatever I want until someone tells me to knock it off. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. When you do great work, no one tells you to knock it off. That's right. No, right. People don't slap your hands for solving complex problems that maybe are outside of your, you know, area of responsibility. And because of that, when you look at the rest of my career, like that was a huge turning point because then when I went to exact target and Salesforce, right, I, I'd see problems and no one else is doing it. And it's like outside of my area. So I would just start doing it until someone was like, Hey, stop. (laughs) And spoiler alert, they don't tell you that. Right. Right. And that continued. And, you know, that's really, really prevalent in my experience today at Limovate. You know, when I came in four years ago, I was hired to run marketing and I ran marketing for two years. Then I took over sales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of that was because I had a lot of opinion, like I was already trying to influence sales before I was running it. And, you know, I took over sales and then I started seeing areas for customer success and support and product. And I just, I mean, I'm polite about the first time where I'll say like, Hey, like this is a problem to whoever's managing it. But if Mm -hmm. they don't take advantage, like if they don't do something and I'm not very patient, to be honest, I just start doing it. (laughs) And then (laughs) then I started taking over those functions and now, you know, I, I run the company. But a lot of it has been because of my past experience, right? A, a lot of it's been hard work. I work really, really hard. But I've yeah. also, you know, been very lucky around timing of things. I've been in opportunities and taken advantage of things that have turned out to be, you know, mobile's been a huge, huge part of my career. And that, you know, goes back to my time in Ingersoll Rand. And part of it is also, you know, if someone wouldn't have, you know, if my boss wouldn't have said what he said in that meeting on that day, I probably wouldn't have gotten as mad that night. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'd still be waiting for, you know, being the same way and asking people to like bless me to do my job, which yeah, I've not done that for a long time now. So that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I love that story. And it's just so it's, it's so true, right? It's just like, we can't mm-hmm. wait for permission. And like you said, when you're doing something, if you're solving complex problems, no one's going to stop you. They're, no. Yeah, they're going to let you. So you talked about uh, Illuminate a little bit. And I know you joined over four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like you said, you started with marketing and then leading sales. And now most recently, you were promoted to president. So congratulations. And now you're running Thank the you. company. Um, so what first interested you in joining Lumavate? And sort of how has that changed over time? Because I know four years in technology is like, you know, it's like a lifetime, right? So I'm it sure is. a lot has changed. So I was um, at the time running marketing at Project Lead the Way, which is a fantastic nonprofit um, education organization really involved in getting kids and engineering and biomedical science, computer science. And I was super happy. It was a blend of what I love, right? Marketing and education. And, you know, there are a couple people I'm based out of Indianapolis and Indianapolis, when they reach out, even if you're happy, you take the coffee right? Like you take, you listen to what they have to say. And some people reached out to me that I had to take the coffee. And I, I told, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I'm happy, but like, I'll, I'll meet with you, see what's going on. And they start talking to me about Limovate. And, you know, after that first meeting, what's interesting about it was I went home and I told my husband, I said, one of two things is going to happen. Because the company was about a year and a half old at the time. I'm not gonna have a job in a year. <laughs> because right startups. Yeah. Right? Like you just never know. Or this is gonna 
fundamentally changed my entire career. And the reason I believe that so strongly is I've been the person with the problem that we were going to solve. I've been the person that spent millions of dollars developing native mobile apps and seeing people download them and not engage with them later. I've seen the cost of developing for iOS and for Android. And for those of you that remember BlackBerry, like I've done a BlackBerry (laughs) app, right? Um, I loved my BlackBerry. I loved it. I did too. It was real hard for me to go from BlackBerry to iOS and now like to Apple. And now I'm kind of like, I I still miss that keyboard. I really do. My BlackBerry curve, like it it took a long time for me to let that one go. Same. But what's interesting about it is, you know, I look at the opportunity and I say, you know, I, I've had this problem. It's expensive. It takes forever. The app store, you know, if you've, if you've ever done native mobile, you've been rejected by the app store. Like there isn't anyone I've ever talked to that hasn't experienced that. It's exhausting. And I tell people all the time, like mobile marketing gives you war wounds, like true war wounds, because there are so many stories, whether it's native mobile, SMS, really anything tied to it where you experience something and it's like, how did this happen? Like, how do I get over it? Like, it's hard. And we were going to solve those problems. And there's something different when you've been the person with the problem and you Mm -hmm. feel it at a different level. I had that when I was at Exact Target too. Like I'd been the marketer we were selling to. And that's part of the reason why I was like, if we can figure this out, like it's going to change everything for marketers. And I believe that four years ago. And I believe that even more today, like it is, especially with what's happened in the last, you know, 12 to 15 months with the pandemic, people have to move faster. They have to think differently, especially in the enterprise where oftentimes you might hear about digital transformation projects taking, you know, three to five years. They can't wait three to five years. Consumer, I mean, what it's funny when people talk about B2B, we act like, oh, it's B2B. We're marketing to business. I'm like, no, you're marketing to people who have the expectations of Netflix. Right? <laughs> That's right. And like DoorDash and Instacart, yep. right? Like I want it now. Um, just because they're buying for business doesn't mean that their behaviors change. Yes, they may think about the revenue different, right? Like there's a difference between spending your own money versus spending a company's money right? Um, or the level of investment. But like your buying behavior is very similar. So it's been a wonderful ride. I think, you know, especially coming in as president now, you know, which is a huge, huge opportunity that I'm extremely grateful for. But I believe so much in our success and our potential here at Limovate because, you know, right now, marketers don't know for the most part that they can build their own apps, right? Like that's a crazy idea. And we're not going to stop there. Why can't everyone build an app? You know, I think this whole idea of code, low code, no code is going to be a revolution. And I don't say that lightly because, you know, in the past, you would rely on developers to develop, you know, code for you that was used for the one use case. Right. Developers are still going to have a role, but instead they're going to develop code that's reusable that you can use hundreds of times for very different use cases. So we're not taking anyone out of the mix. We're just letting everyone do what they're best at, right? Developers, you go develop the code, right? Like we hire a ton of software engineers for our platform. And then marketers can use it to customize the things that they care about because no developer cares about your hex code, right? <laughs> like they they don't care that it's off by two, like two numbers 
Whereas, you know, some of us like myself care very passionately about that. (laughs) So, you know, I'm very excited about the potential this company has and to help all kinds of businesses really accelerate what they're doing in the mobile space. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Speaking of sort of the product and product roadmap, I mean, you led the effort there to define a new product roadmap, right? And really expand the go-to-market strategy to include this product-led growth that we keep Mm -hmm. everybody's talking about in the market. So how was that decision made? And how has that um, change really helped accelerate revenue growth? Yeah, it has been, I think, a long time coming. Um, And I say that because you know, we started out sales led. So when the company was first founded, we had a sales team. We've always had a sales team. We'll always have a sales team. I think first of all, um, I think the difference though is when you're sales led, you know, sales is really what drives the company, and not the revenue number, but the sales organization. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, your product roadmap is based on what sales tells you they need, right? Mm-hmm. In combination with what you hear from customers in the market, but really a lot, a lot of times you're delivering to what, what customers, especially if you're an enterprise, need and want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we really started talking about this. It's been almost three years now about product-led growth. It was in you know the end of 2018 when I started advocating for us to consider it. And the reason why is because of what I mentioned earlier. We as consumers have become accustomed to trying before we buy. And, you know, marketers especially, and I I used to joke and say this, but it's so true. I even find it myself, even in my current role. You know, when do I check out new software? At 10 p.m. at night on my couch. That's right. (laughs) Right? Because no one, like I'm not, I'm working, but I'm not working like during the day. Like there's not someone competing for my time. I can spend some time doing it. I know no one is going to call me, <laughs> right? Like they're not going to see them on their website and immediately try and call me. So what's nice about that is I, I do that. And, you know, the challenge is, you know, yes, you may have a demo video on your website. You might have screenshots, but if I can't experience your product and I can experience the competitor's chances are the competitor's going to edge you out in, in a lot of cases, not because they're better than you, but because they're more available. That's right. And so, you know, really what I was trying to get us to think about was how do we, well, one, like baby step into it. So how do we do trials? And maybe those are in the sales cycle. So that's actually the first kind of entree that we made was how can we empower our sales team to when they have someone that wants to get a, a sandbox, or my favorite phrase that I think is like the least favorite phrase to all salespeople, I just let them play around, <laughs> right? Because like the worst part about that is like, that's what they're going to do. They're going to go in and click around on stuff with like no real goal in mind. And so you being able to like measure effectiveness of whether or not that accomplished what they want, is real hard. But here's the thing. That's what every marketer wants to do. Mm-hmm. They just want to <laughs> go around it. They, I want to go in. I want to click around. I want to make sure you, all the things you said it could do, it can do. Right. Um, so we created an option to do like trials. And I would tell you like that wasn't scalable. Yeah. It was right. Like it was very manual. You had to talk to a sales rep in order for it to even have an offer of doing it. Um, but the nice thing about it was it gave us kind of like our first entree into what that was like. And then we had, you know, prior to 2020, you know, our plan at the end of 2019 was to have a product-led growth option by the end of the next year. Okay. And 
we had, you know, we had already planned that, but I would have told you like that was going to be like a December 2020 or like Q1 2021 launch originally. And then March hit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things that we realized in the first like two months of the pan when the pandemic really set everyone home mm-hmm. was something is like this is changing. And I, you know, you can't put salespeople on a plane. Mm-hmm. People are gonna like, what is this gonna do to buying behaviors? And so what we decided to do was really pull up all of our PLG efforts. And that's what we did. So we accelerated that. We also decided to spend time really, re, you know, if we're going to go product led and have that as an, a big option, a big direction and business model for the company, we decided to redo the entire interface for a product, um, which is a huge decision. Um, it's a huge decision. And looking back, you know, I still like sometimes like am mind boggled because we made that decision to do it in May of 2020 and we put one senior engineer on it. <laughs> we had other stuff to we had other stuff we were doing for the roadmap yeah. and customers. We put one senior en- engineer on it and we launched it Labor Day weekend. Oh and, my goodness. Which is crazy. That's crazy. It's really crazy. And what's even crazier about it is we launched it the Friday before Labor Day mm-hmm. and then had a customer that needed to build 600 apps in three days using our new version of our product <sighs> to launch the Tuesday after Labor Day. Oh, and, my goodness. Um, we internally all joke about, like, there's a couple of us that, you know, like, we speak of, like, Labor Day weekend 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and like it was a time that we don't speak about because it was it was exhausting. Um, I can tell you that I worked a lot and binge watched the first two seasons of Cobra High. Um, but here's the thing that's crazy is it all worked. That's amazing. right. Like, and you know, shortly thereafter, we officially rolled out product led quietly. Um, what I mean by that is quietly, like it was on the website. We were directing people to it, but we didn't do what a lot of companies would do, like a big PR announcement, a big campaign around it. You know, because for two two reasons, but I think a lot of people miss when they go from sales led to product led. When you're sales led and you have a salesperson that tells you about the product, and then you have a customer success team that onboards you, whether or not services are involved, but they still onboard you. They use the product the way you taught them to use the product, mm-hmm. which is very different than the person who comes in at 10 o'clock at night. They do things that you cannot have anticipated. Mm-hmm. and they wanted to do things and have perceptions of it that like you, there's no way we could have thought through. And so what allowed us to do is this first really, you know, we launched a week before Thanksgiving um, on the website, and then we spent really the next four months. And what I would tell you was letting people come in and trying to figure out where they got stuck and how mm-hmm. to delight them. And so, you know, I think that was an interesting choice for us for a lot of reasons. One, we quickly learned what people do when you don't, even when you have help content, like help content's great. No one reads it. <laughs> right? Like, you don't. And it's so funny, like we like obsessed about it before we launched and like making sure it was all good, right? And like video, like all this stuff. And you, you need to do all those things. Don't get me wrong. But here's the fun fact. 
no one looks at it. <laughs> I mean, some people do, but like re- in reality, like they just click around mm-hmm. and they click around in a way that you can't have anticipated. Even when you do all of this, you know, user testing and user studies, the person at 10 PM at night uses it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, or we'd have people that would come in and like send support tickets going, Oh, like I want to be able to do this use case. Nowhere on our website says we can do that use case. But like in their mind, they're like, well, why can't you? Right. I like every, right? So it just, it's been a really great learning experience around how do we better prepare people initially? You know, how do we make our product, even when it was really easy to use, even easier to use because people aren't going to read the help content. Or if they do, they're not going to watch the full video. They're going to watch 15 seconds. So, you know, that has been, I think, a big, a big part for us. And then as you look at kind of, you know, where we are as a company today, you know, it's interesting when people say that you have product-led growth, a lot of them make a make an assumption that I think is really flawed, which is, oh, that's SMB, which is not true. Product-led growth spans all segments. Mm-hmm. You have people that come in from the enterprise. Now, it's not your CMO. Your CMO is not coming in from an enterprise organization and creating an account at 10 p.m. at night but your marketing manager is, your marketing Mm -hmm. specialist, right? People who still have budget and still make decisions, it's just different. So you have more of a bottoms up approach um, from product led in the enterprise. And then you also have mid-market and SMB. And so now you're in this situation because we primarily before were a very enterprise focused and enterprise heavy um, company could do a sales led. Mm -hmm. How do you create a pricing model that Mm -hmm. spans all three? How do you create a product that works for all three. Um, and especially when you're, you know, when you have limited resources and capacity, yeah. you know, capacity to think about. And then how do you create a company that allows you to have both? And I think one of the most important decisions that we made was we are to think about product-led growth not as a go-to-market strategy and not as a channel. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah. So we think about, you know, we will tell you our business model is product led. And we think about that in two facets. One is self-service. So people who come in, use our product, upgrade and never talk to us. Um, The other one is direct sales, which is two things. Um, They could come in through a free account and then, you know, work with our sales team to upgrade. Or they could, you know, our sales team could be prospecting into them, get them in the process, and then get them into a free account as part of the evaluation stage. But at the end of the day, our product drives our company. Our product is why people buy us. And I think that is a really important distinction because product-led, like product-led growth, um, if you don't think about it as a business model, you're just really going to struggle because when you're product led, the metrics you look at should be different than when you're Mm -hmm. sales led. Uh, And you can't be sales led and product led at the same time, but you can have a self-service arm and a direct sales arm and have them both work together under a product led business model. Um, So I think those are just some of the things that when you're thinking about like how to generate revenue in a transition like this, how to think about, you know, your go forward when you do make the transition, it's really important to think about what kind of company are we? What's our business model? Mm-hmm. And then how does that start to, to filter down? 
That makes a lot of sense. I love the way you describe that because it is a business model. It's not just mm -hmm. a strategy or another channel or way of selling. It's a complete Correct. change in how you run your business. It is. And I think when people start to think of it as a channel or a strategy, you know, we get in this habit of like, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just turn it off. Right. And you, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's not like a Google ad that's like, oh, it doesn't work. I'll stop. Um, or like Spotify ads or, you know, something where it's not working, you'll stop doing it. It is a fundamental piece of how your business operates. Um, so I think it's just important to think about it differently. That's great advice. Um, you know, marketing, I know we talked about this a little bit already, but I think, you know, marketing has just become increasingly complex, right? Yeah. Especially as it relates to just trying to cut through the noise. Because you mentioned, you know, even as consumers, right, we're bombarded with all this information and we have the ability to go out and get information, right? So I think, how do you sort of reach buyers in new and creative ways, right? Because it's it's really interesting, Um in your business because you're marketing to marketers, yeah. right? You're selling to them. So what are some of the things that you think have worked really well from your perspective to really cut through the noise and reach the right buyers at the right time? It's a great question there. You know, it's funny because we are all bombarded personally and professionally with so many messages. And then I see so many companies reach out to me the same exact way. Yes. And here's the thing, like I, I ignore them <laughs> and what's horrible about it is like we all do. Um, and so it's, I actually did a test of this and that's <laughs> it's hilarious because I thought it like I was optimistic thinking it would work. So I posted, it was probably me a month ago on LinkedIn on the importance of using video and prospecting mm -hmm. and the results like that we've seen from it. And I made a comment about like, if you want to get my attention, send me a video. Yeah. Okay. I've gotten <laughs> one video. So I'm just like, if you spend any time on my LinkedIn profile, like you would know that I've talked about like the importance of video. I'm a big fan of Vidyard. I've spoken at a lot of their events. I've said like video is how you get to me because no one else gets sent it to me. And then literally I probably get 40 prospecting emails a day. Uh, and I'm like, you've not even like Googled me. <laughs> so I think like, number one, don't do what everyone else is doing, which is like call, send email, send yeah. connection request. Um, and I would tell you also, like, I know that mobile phone numbers are starting, like there's lots of technology they're providing those now. I guarantee you, if you call me on my mobile number and I didn't give it to you and I answer, and you were prospecting into me, you were getting blocked. <laughs> and for a variety of, because I'm just like, it is like, to me, like, that's like almost like an, it's different when you call me on my work number. Right. Um, but back to what works, I think is it's doing something different. Marketing to marketers is the best job in the entire world because you get to be so creative, but it's also the hardest because mm -hmm. we are so cynical. <laughs> right. Like we do this job. Yeah. So, like when you do the same thing, you're just like, mm, thank you next. Right. Like <laughs> it doesn't stand out, but when you do stand out, they notice it in a big way and they share it internally in a big way. So ways that we've done that, you know, we use personalized video and all of our prospecting outreaches and not like a personalized video. Like, hi, I noticed you do a podcast for sales IQ, right? Yeah. Like it took you or like, <laughs> hi, 
you went to this college and I went to this college from the same state. Um, because that took two seconds. Instead, we'll go, and I say there's a fine line between creepy and cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's a real fine line. And I actually have said that like four times this week as we're onboarding a new SDR. Fine line, cre- creepy cool. So what's cool is like doing enough research about someone where you can say like, I am reaching out to you and here's why I'm like what I know about you. And here's why I want to talk to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's things that are not specific to like your company or where you went to school. Like I'll give you an example. I was able to get the CMO of MGM resorts on my podcast because I reached out to her and mentioned how I heard that she loved Tim Horton's donuts. Cause she's originally <laughs> from Canada. And I'd love to have her on the show to talk about more like these specific marketing topics that I know she's real passionate about and donuts. Uh-huh. Right. And how I knew that is because I, I went on Twitter and I didn't just read her last three tweets. I spent like five minutes and read like the last hundred Yeah, and saw that she tweeted about Tim Hortons donuts. And the first time when she goes home to Canada, the first place she goes is Tim Hortons. Mm. That stood out, right? Because she gets all of the, I mean, she gets all of those types of invites all the time. Right. And why did she pick us? So that's one thing. Find unique stuff. So if someone speaks at a lot of conferences, don't just go, hi, I saw that you spoke at this conference. Like listen to their video because you can probably find it online and Mm -hmm. find one or two interesting points that they said that you don't hear from everyone else and then tell them why you thought that was insightful. You know, especially when you market to marketers, regardless of whether or not we all want to admit it, we all have a little bit of ego. And when someone tells you like, hey, I thought that was really smart, Mm -hmm. like you're flattered and you're more likely to respond. So I think that's one. The other one is really around direct mail. Mm -hmm. And it's been a little bit harder, I think, um, in times of with everyone working from home, because now you have to figure out where they are. But um, pre-pandemic, we would do different direct mail. So like, we don't send you things that everyone else sends you. Like, you're not going to get like a charger for your phone or like a cup. I mean, because no one else, no one needs those. Instead, we send you things that like, aren't always super useful, but are super creative. For instance, we marketed into... A bunch of sports teams. So think like um, IndyCar racing locations, MLB, uh, minor league baseball, NHL, etc. And one of the things we noticed when we were kind of researching the industry is a lot of the people we'd market to were men that were in their late 30s, early 40s, which Mm -hmm. means they grew up in the 80s, like I did. Which means they like probably like two things in the 80s, baseball cards and big league chew gum. <laughs> so that's what we did. We created baseball cards with different mobile use cases for uh-huh. their industry, printed them on baseball card paper, had them sealed in a fo- like a foil envelope like you'd have from like your little baseball cards, and then sent yeah. them with like a, a card and a pack of big league chew gum in a bubble wrap <laughs> envelope. That entire campaign was less than $10 a person mm-hmm. to send, including shipping. And we got 70, 70% of the accounts we reached out to, we got meetings with. Wow. Because who sends you big league chew gum and baseball cards? <laughs> no one. <laughs> right? Who sends you a mug? I got four of them this month. Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's different stuff. So I think it's that, you know, we've done, we also did one um, where we sent money trees around like this idea of like growing your business with Lumivate. Because like, did you know a money tree is like an actual real plant? I didn't until we no. like, oh, well, what, one of my team goes, we should send them money trees. I was like, that's hilarious. 
Like, are you thinking like we buy something and put like dollar bills? No, she's like a literal money tree. And I was like, and then she like Googles it and shows me. I was like, it's a plant. Like you can, you can grow a money tree. So we ordered these little pots uh, with money, like where you can build a money tree and send them to people. And one of the fun things that we did was an unboxing video. So I had this idea because, at, you know, unboxing videos are really popular. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it personally, but like they're really popular. So I asked the SDRs, I was like, hey, I want you to film a video of you unboxing this. And they were, they thought I was crazy, right? They're like, what, why? And I was like, and we're going to do a green screen and it's going to appear like you're in the jungle. Oh, very cool. Right? Yeah. And so they did this fun little unbox where they were like, hi, I'm, I'm going to send you a box. Inside this box is this and this and this, and it'll be there in like three days. And then I'm going to give you a call and talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. And what was crazy was, well, who sends you an unboxing video of what they're going to send you? No one. I right. still, I've probably talked about that before a couple of times. And nobody um, has prospected you with it. <laughs> no one's prospected me with it. No one's prospected, right? And then two, we had people like this money tree costs $3. Like it's not like, I mean, it's a little planner. Yeah. And I had enterprise marketers who would call us on day four because they hadn't got their box yet. They call our SDR going like, I don't see it. Like, do you know where it's at? And we track FedEx. Because a lot of times when you market into the enterprise, like they all go to kind of like their internal like shipping department. Mm -hmm. And then it could take like a couple more days to get to their actual office. Yeah. So we, but we would have people that like on day four or five, like don't have their package and want like, can we resend it? And I'm just like, it's like a $3 money tree. <laughs> but we've created this like whole experience and story around it. Yeah. Um, and then we'd get pictures of people who had their like grandkids or their children, like planting it in their yard, um, which is like super, right. So like they, they remember us. And even if they weren't ready to buy or, you know, at the time limovate, it's crazy because like they'll come back when they are, That's and right. they remember us or I've had, you know, I've been there four years. So, you know, I've had seen this happen so many times where someone will reply to an email we sent them two years ago that they kept. Like when oh, marketer, wow. like when someone tells you like they've kept an email, like, oh, well, I'll file it. I'm like, yeah, in the trash, right? Like that's what you just did. <laughs> but they know they, they keep it and they respond to it. And they'll, rep and they'll be like, hey, we're ready now. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, oftentimes you really like, holy crap, you really kept that. <laughs> um, but that's what I, we do. It's like, we like to do the opposite of what everyone else does. And I think sometimes what happens when you're a marketing and sales leader, and I get why it happens. I really do. You're so focused on revenue and you're so focused on hitting your your goals that you sometimes, you know, go, Oh God, like I'm behind. Let me just do more. Or, mm -hmm. Oh, what is this company doing? Let's do what they do. Right. Like they're killing it. And what you don't realize is if everyone does the same thing, yeah, the creative thing that one company done did is no longer creative. It's just the same stuff. And, you know, be different. You know, your marketing to people, regardless of how big of the organization is, people find other people interesting. Mm -hmm. And so do that. And I always tell, you know, everyone, when you reach out, you have to be yourself. Everyone can see through you know, if you're, if you're leaving a voicemail for someone and it doesn't sound like you, people know if your email doesn't sound like you, people know, even if they have never met you, like there's just something about it. And so part of it too is, you know, I understand the importance of brand messaging 
And you need everyone talking about your company in the same way. That doesn't mean they have to use the same words. And I think it's a, or the same tone or the same sense of humor Mm -hmm. because we're all different people. And what I might say and how I might talk to someone about Lumivate, it's going to be different than how someone else talks about Lumivate. And they could walk away with the exact same impression and we could about our company. And that's okay, right? Like that's that's yeah. what you want. You want everyone to think about you the same way. They don't have to all get there using the same words though. I love that. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. You just shared so many great tips. I'm sure after folks listen to this episode, hopefully you will get some videos and maybe some unboxing videos. I, I hope, right? Like I'm just like, people, like I'm telling you how to get my attention. Yeah, that's, that's just bizarre. It's so bizarre. Um, so let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I saw one of your shares about a year ago, and we've kind of talked about it earlier, about how this has really changed your career. And you wrote that, you know, all I had to do was stop asking for permission, stop yeah. worrying about speaking up and start doing what I know is best. And you talked about that example earlier on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think about it, you know, and I, I know how that's impacted your career, you took us through that journey. Um, and obviously, you know, you talked about sort of, taking opportunities and sort of stepping Mm -hmm. out and and making sure you grab those opportunities for growth. But what other advice do you have for other Mm -hmm. women who are really looking to elevate their career and, you know, kind of continue to move up that ladder? Yeah, I I would say two things. I think one, if you're early on in your career, um, just think just because that you're young or just because you've only, you know, maybe you make a career change and you're only into a new industry for a short period of time, doesn't mean that you don't have opinions and you don't have value. I think oftentimes, and I say this to the younger members of our team so much, just because you're two years out of school doesn't mean that your ideas are not as great as mine, Mm -hmm. right? Like speak up, have a voice. It doesn't mean that your idea is always going to get selected, but you have value and you have something to say. And so I think doing that early on, I think it's really important. And then I think the other part I would tell you is, especially for women, find your, find your group. And what I mean by that is find three or four other women who can, who are at a similar place in their life with you, who can be there. Because the one thing that I think oftentimes is hard as you grow your career especially, you know, if you choose to become a mom at some point, right? Like you're pulled in a lot of directions Mm -hmm. and you feel a lot of responsibility. And I think everyone, or I think, and I, this is, I, I really do believe this. I think every woman at some point feels like they're not doing a good job at whatever it is that they're responsible for doing. (laughs) Yes. And the, the crazy part about it is like, no one likes to talk about it. Uh, yeah. Right. No one likes to say like, I'm pretty sure I feel like a failure at everything. <laughs> and you need to find like the women that you can have that conversation with. Yes. Because, 100%. Right. Cause what they'll say is like, Oh my God, me too. Yeah. Right. Um, and they'll also, it makes you feel normal. Cause I think mm-hmm. sometimes, especially as you get more successful, success is great, but it's a lonely you know, the higher you go in your career, the lonelier it gets. Yes. And the reason that is, is because, you know, when you're starting out, you can talk to anyone at work about everything. Right. (laughs) Right. And then as you become a leader, you can't talk to your, your, you know, your team 
about your frustrations. Mm-hmm. And that gets even, you know, as you grow and your team gets bigger and bigger and bigger and your role gets higher, um, you, you know, like you realize I can't talk to any of them, <laughs> right? Um, about it. And so you need to be able to find that group where you, you can, you know, bounce ideas off of and you can vent and mm-hmm. you can also, you know, ask, you know, I asked my, my group that this week, am I crazy? <laughs> like, <laughs> like can you just, am I crazy? Because there are times where you have an idea or you're doing something and you don't get a reaction that you want as a leader. And you're kind of like, I need you to tell me whether or not I'm losing my mind, right? <laughs> because that's where the first place we go is like, I am failing or I'm losing my mind. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's like a normal human reaction. I think about, you know, I have kids that are, you know, three kids, um, two 15-year-olds and a 12-year-old. <laughs> and even like, even them, when they don't understand something in school, they're just like, like, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, nothing is wrong with you. Like, you yeah. just don't understand the way this was taught. But I think as a society, like, you know, if something doesn't work or it's not easy or you don't get it right away, like we're conditioned to think like something is wrong. Well, nothing's wrong. And having people who can tell you like, no, like you're like that that idea makes sense. Like it's not working because I don't know. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you'll never know. Or you're not failing at everything today. Like you're like, you're doing a great job and just remind you like those feelings are, are normal. normal and you know, I think what happens when you find people that can do that, especially that are outside of outside of your family. And I think the reason why that's important is you need someone else to talk to about it. So you're not always talking to like your family about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you start to realize that you feel that way less yeah. because you realize like, Oh, like this is no, this is just how every, like, this is normal. This right. is how everyone feels. And then you don't have those like moments of like, like what's going on or um, why, like, why is this not working? Um, and you focus more on what you can solve and fix and less on all the other stuff. That's so that right. would be my piece of advice um, is speak up when you're young, get involved, take advantage of every opportunity. And then as you grow in your career, find, find a small group of the people that you can trust and can be really your outlet for advice, venting, and in my case, lots of wine. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That is excellent advice. Excellent. So, so as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and this podcast, Mm -hmm. I always hope that others are going to be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And really power that revenue engine. So kind of switching back to, I think, to revenue is, you know, from your perspective, you know, what are the top three things that other executives Mm -hmm. should be thinking about today? to really drive revenue growth? I think number one, if you are not, if you're in software, you if you're not product led, you need to get on it because you're already behind. Mm-hmm. Like it's just an expectation. Um, you know, I find myself, I was looking at software a couple weeks ago and you know, here's the crazy thing. Before I ever looked at a company's website, I, already, I could already tell you the three vendors I was gonna consider because they're people, there are three vendors that my peers have used, mm-hmm. right? So I've had that conversation before I've dived into them. And I went to, it was, it was, I think it was like 10 o'clock at night on like a yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> I went to their websites and what was crazy is two of them, I could do a free account or a free trial. And one of them I couldn't, and I had to request a demo. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I ended up going with one of the ones that was a free trial because I could quickly decide if it was going to work for me or not. And if it was worth more of my time. Like, I think that's what, what people don't realize when I have to schedule a demo before I can see your product. Mm-hmm. I now have to give you 30, like a, a, a specific a of time. time, yeah, right? Before I know if it's going to work or not. Um, and I feel the same way about pricing on your website. Like if you don't have pricing on your website, it's the same thing for me. Like I can't validate quickly whether or not you're worth 30 minutes of my time. And mm-hmm. I get this whole like value-based selling and I want to like, I get all of the reasons why. But as a buyer, if you're outside my price point, like you're just going to get frustrated when you tell me and I'm going to be frustrated <laughs> and feel like it was a waste of my time. Yeah. So I think there's a, so I think one product led, um, two, I would say it's kind of back to pricing and just transparency. Mm-hmm. You know, I already kind of mentioned this, but most people do their research before they ever hit your website, right? 100%, 100%. And so I think part of it is, you know, if the story I hear from people using your product is different than the story I see on your website, like I immediately red flags go up. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it about being transparent about what you do well and where you don't and what problems you can solve and what you can't. Mm-hmm. because here's the thing. If you tell me you can solve it and you can't prove it to me, or even if you can prove it to me in your product, I'm going to go ask for someone like not someone you tell me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like someone that I go find and back channel on that can prove that you actually did it, especially if it's like a large investment. So I think transparency is the other, is the biggest, the second biggest one. And then I think, you know, the third one really around revenue acceleration is going to be, continually thinking about your existing customer base. Mm. We are so focused often, you know, as revenue leaders on new logos. Yep. And bringing in new new business and I, that's so important, but why don't we have an existing customer pipeline? Why don't we treat it the exact same way? And you know, I think part of the reason at Lumivate we've been very intentional around having, you know, our sales team own renewals and own upsells is because you still have to hunt that to some extent, especially in the enterprise, right? Just because you're in at a large company, you know, there might be six divisions and you're in one. So while you have a master service agreement and all the things from a procurement standpoint, getting into the other five, it's like selling into five mid-sized companies. The door is a little easier (laughs) to get in, but it's still different buyers. And I think that's one thing, you know, a lot of times they'll say like, well, we have like account managers who are responsible for it, or it's under the customer success engine. And what I would tell you is, yes, there can be customer success team members or account managers who have a sales desire, but oftentimes what they want to do is make customers happy. Mm-hmm. And how do you make customers happy? You give them things for free. <laughs> Right? So which is like the opposite of like revenue. <laughs> so I think like when you start to separate them and say, okay, I have customer success and customer success, like you are all about delighting customers. Yep. But when but when they ask for more things that cost more money, you don't have that conversation. Right. You pass it over to your friend in sales because you will give it to them for free. <laughs> <laughs> and while that's great and customers will continue to love you for it. Um, and that doesn't help us as a business right? <laughs> from a revenue growth standpoint. So I think if you start thinking about it as, you know, 
why can't why can't your hunters right who are going after a new business hunt within existing customers especially if you're in the enterprise space why can't they think about it that way because oftentimes you know we're so focused on the first deal we don't think about how big of a deal that can be and now i I get not all software that's going to make sense for um but for a lot of it like there's so much potential that's lost on upsell that it's just crazy to think about. It also will, if you have that train of thought, it'll help you think about things a little bit differently for your first deal because you'll stop worrying about trying to maximize every dollar of the first contract, which will allow you to get a contract done sooner and get the customer time to value sooner, mm-hmm. which means they will spend more, they will find, you know, an ROI faster and spend mm-hmm. more with you. So, you know, I think that's been an interesting thing that we've thought about and considered that I wish more businesses would. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, so thank you so much for joining me, Stephanie. This has been so much fun um, and so much insights. I just can't wait to go back and listen again to all the tips that you've given. Um, But, you know, as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always love to ask two things. So one, what is the one thing about Stephanie Cox that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you absolutely want everyone to know about you? Okay. Um, So one thing that most people would be surprised to learn was seven years ago, I had a brain tumor and had a craniotomy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So most people don't know that. Um, And then I would say the one thing I want everyone to know uh, really about me is Man, that's a hard, it's actually a really hard one. I would say, you know, <laughs> it really is hard. I am who, what you see is kind of what you get with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I believe that everyone, especially, you know, as a leader, I hire really talented people and my job is to remove roadblocks. And I, yeah. I say this all the time, like hire adults and then get out of their way. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, and I really, I really do believe that. And I say that to people and I know like sometimes people say, oh, you say like, cause I've been there before when like other managers have said that to me and like, it's not really true. It's very mm-hmm. true for me. And I think the other thing I would say is, you know, when you work for me, I am like, you're in my life forever. And what I mean by that is I will help you until the end of time. And I really, really do mean that. And there are oftentimes, you know, where someone on my team this throughout my career is ready to grow and the mm-hmm. opportunities they're ready for, I can't give them yet. Right. And I help them find something else, which I know is, sounds crazy to a lot of other <laughs> leaders, right? Like, why would you offer to help someone on your team go find something else? Um, because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. Right. And ideally, you know, I'm growing the business fast enough where that opportunity is here, but mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you can't always make that happen. And I believe, you know, if you take care of your people and your team, it comes back, you know, more than you can imagine. Um, so that I, you know, I say that and I really do mean that. So I think that's one thing um, I'd like people to know about me. That's amazing. And I'm sure people will want to know if you're hiring as well. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be getting a lot of um, folks outreaching to you to see hopefully via video and hopefully with a little bit more creativity and maybe looking for a new role to work under your leadership. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. I, I so appreciate your time and just so grateful um, for you sharing your story and all this wonderful, wonderful advice. My pleasure. Thank you.